0: And welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the Church today, and how the Gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the Church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. The Devil Fears Prayer Just imagine this scene. The devil sits in the back of the room during a strategy session. A dozen demons have gathered to hear a report on the life of an especially committed saint. "'Ah, uh, he won't stumble,' groused the imp responsible for his demise. "'No matter what I do, he won't turn his back on God.' The council began to offer suggestions. "'Take his purity,' one said. "'I tried,' replied the fiend. "'But he is too moral.' "'Take his health,' urged another. "'I did, but he refused to grumble or complain. "'Take his belongings.' "'Are you kidding? "'I've stripped the man of every penny in possession, yet he still rejoices.' For a few moments, no one spoke. Finally, from the back of the room came the low, measured voice of Satan himself. The entire council turned as the fallen angel rose to his feet. His pale face was all but hidden by the hood. A long cape covered his body. He raised his bony hand and made his point. You must take what matters most. What is that? asked the subordinate. You must take his prayer. Don't allow Satan to take your prayer. Now in the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair offers us the keys to a better prayer life, how to get closer to God, stronger against evil, and healthier in life through prayer. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for taking some time to spend with us in the Archbishop's Corner, where prayer becomes the goal for every Christian life. How are you, Archbishop? I'm very well, thank you. And speaking of prayer... Today is the start of International New Friends, Old Friends Week to celebrate and make time for old friends and new friends and remember how vital friends are for our emotional and physical health, well-being, even professional success. Regardless of age, friendships are crucial. Why do you think friends are, are so important to have in our lives? And, and while we mentioned prayer, it's so important to pray for our friends too, and I'm wondering if we forget to do that at times, you know?
1: Well, you remember that... Um jesus himself told the apostles at a certain point i now call you my friends that friendship with god uh, is uh, a model also and an inspiration for the friendship that should exist among people this uh, intimacy or relationship or affection that we have for other people um, because certainly the marital relationship the sexual relationship is a very important part of human life motherhood fatherhood uh husband wife but that does not cover by any means the range of human attachments and relationships that we need to have with other people so it's really friendship is a is a beautiful gift and sadly in today's world uh you know people well let's just put it this way without uh, saying that uh communications are not important but you know people just being uh, uh, tied to one another through uh, their through uh, cell phones and such uh, it really doesn't do justice to the uh, the interpersonal encounter that people can have with one another and the kinds of ways that friends present themselves to us and grow uh, over the course of our lifetime but right. it's all very important because relationship we're, we're created to be in relationship nobody no human being is created to be a lone ranger to be a mm-hmm. monad you know uh, that that's absolutely contrary to the human nature and so the importance of, of these relationships.
0: And as we grow older, I think it's so important that we absolutely make the time to be with friends, e- even though it becomes more difficult, you know, with the aches and pains that we all experience as we get older. Sometimes it, it doesn't make for an easy opportunity to be with friends. You know, when you're constantly complaining, you can't walk as well as you used to be able to walk. You're not as strong as you were once. You, you've are you getting to... old? Are uh, you are you falling? Yeah, I apart? guess I do feel it. You know, even you know you're losing your hearing. <laughs> My hearing's what? gone a long time ago. <laughs> exactly. But you y- you've really got to struggle in order to uh, set time aside to be with friends.
1: Well, you know, you've used a very important phrase to be with. You know, if you look at the beginning of the gospel, I think it's Luke's, as I recall. It said, when Jesus selected the 12, he selected them to be with him, mm-hmm. uh, to share his life. It doesn't say he called them to be his uh, representatives or to do this or that for him or to whatever. It said he called the 12 to be with him, which I think uh, you know is a very uh, imp- important thing, to be with Jesus, to be with God, to be with one another In a kind of, how can I put it, a a conscientious way, a conscious way of being with. um, That's more than just uh, standing next to somebody, but having a relationship. That is very human. That's the way God created us. And it is a foretaste of eternal life. Because when we go to heaven, you know, we're not so many individuals. We're part of the the body of Christ uh, in eternity.
0: To coincide with the the fact that uh, today is International New Friends, Old Friends Day, and, and beginning of the week, Friday of this week, May 24th, is Brothers' Day. It's a day to celebrate the bond between brothers, both biological and fraternal. And for all those who don't have any brothers, the day can still be celebrated with friends that are considered family members. Do you have anyone who is a brother or brother-like to you, Archbishop?
1: No, I don't have any Uh uh brothers in the family but uh, i would say certainly having gone through seminary from high school on i have a lot of uh, you know brotherhood uh with uh, fellow priests and uh, and bishops uh you know we talk about priestly fraternity and i i guess a certain episcopal fraternity as well uh that's meant to be like the apostles and uh you know i'm reading a book about saint paul by a mm-hmm. great scripture scholar and uh He uses this point uh, very dramatically that Christianity, we take this for granted, but Christianity was so radical in saying that people of different nations and ethnicities and places could come together as one family. Uh, In the ancient world, this was just unheard of. Everything was very tribal and very much uh, keeping to your own, you know? Mm. What is that song from West Side Story, Stick to Your Own Kind? That was really the world of of antiquity. And, you know, for example, for the Jewish people, this idea of uh, a a shared identity around the Torah and Jewish practice, that's why there was such a fight in the early church originally about whether people had to be circumcised in order to become Christian uh, because circumcision was the sign of entering the Jewish people. Uh, did you have to become a Jew so that you could be a Christian? And the decision was made, no. In Christ, the, that had been that was no longer necessary. But anyway, I guess I'm getting off the track a little bit here, but the point is that that was a radical idea, and it's at the very heart of Christianity. You know, I'm fond of referring to the archdiocese as our, our family of faith, yeah. and some people might think that's a, a little corny or something, but really, that is exactly what it's supposed to be, and that is exactly how... St. Paul and the first Christians had this tremendous insight that took a while to establish that uh, the bonds, family bonds, uh, not by blood, of course, but the spiritual, uh, as a people, uh, were not just by blood or ethnicity, but they were by faith in
0: Christ. Interesting. Speaking about friends and brothers, I was counting the years, and do you realize that you and I have known each other for 48 years? Who are you? Are you really? 48 years!
1: Wow. Well, that is going back a ways, yes.
0: It truly is. Well, let's talk now about the road to happiness in life. This is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from Pope Francis's general audience that was delivered on January 25th of 2017, And it's called, He Knows Better Than We Do. The Pope says, We ask the Lord for life, health, love, happiness, and it is right to do so. But we have to remember that God can bring life from death, which is to say we can experience peace even in sickness, calm even in solitude, and joy even in tears. It is not for us to teach God what to do to tell him what we need. He knows better than we do, and we must have faith because his ways and his thoughts are different from ours. Archbishop, your thoughts on Pope Francis talking about not telling God what to do.
1: Well, that reminds me of the beautiful teaching of St. Augustine, uh, when he says that um, we, when we pray, it's not to inform God about w- what we're asking, as if God did not know. Uh, but it is, as he puts it, to exercise our desire in prayer— so that we may be prepared to receive what God is prepared to give. Mm. That's one of those, in Latin, that's even more, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a, t- not tongue twister, but it, 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 it has this, you know, back and forth of the words, that we exercise our desires in prayer so that we prepare our hearts to receive what God is prepared to give. And I think that, that is, uh, I think what Pope Francis is saying here, that yes, as human beings, we pour out our needs before God, But the point is not to try to convince God to do what we want and not to try to uh, inform God as if he didn't know, but rather when we bring it to prayer, and remember prayer is lifting our mind and heart to God, it's meant to prepare us to receive what God is going to give us uh, in in, uh, his infinite wisdom and divine providence. And we may find the answer to be crushingly disappointing or very tragic or sad, but the point is that in the providence of God, just like the crucifixion of his son uh, appeared to be uh, tragic and disappointing. We know how, how from this and through this came all that is good. Similarly, we have to realize that God's will for us always is for our good, even when it seems to be crushingly otherwise.
0: And that reminds me of something that Sister used to say in school all the time she would always say that God never gives you more than you can handle because he gives you the grace to accept it.
1: Yes, as hard as that is for us to accept sometimes or to uh, understand, but that is true.
0: Now, we've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but before we get to those questions, let's look at our Gospel for today. And uh, this reading on the 5th Sunday of Easter, uh, the 19th day of May, today's reading is from John's Gospel, once again, the 13th chapter, And after the gospel is dramatically presented we'll ask you archbishop for your thoughts on what the gospel means now is the son of man glorified and in him god is glorified if god is glorified in him god will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once little children yet a little while i am with you where i am going you cannot come A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Archbishop, your thoughts on this gospel. Set the scene for us. Well, now we're going back in
1: John's gospel to the Last Supper, and we're this magnificent uh, discourse that Jesus gives to his apostles— And of course, it starts out by saying, when Judas had left them, then Jesus said. So Judas, the betrayer, has uh, separated himself now from the apostles. He's made his definitive break. And so this uh, kind of wound, if you will, I I dare say this kind of malignancy in the apostolic college now has separated himself. And Jesus uh, speaks to those who are truly his disciples and faithful to him. And says that I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you, so you should also love one another. And that's how people will know that you are my disciples. So when we look at the church today, how do we know that we are disciples of Christ? How does the Catholic Church in Hartford, Connecticut, in the United States, know that the people who call themselves Catholic, and I include myself in that, how do they know that we are Christ's disciples? And the answer is, if, you have, if we have love for one another. So, you know, we know that there's not a lot of love in the world sometimes today. We know how in the church there's all kinds of uh, things that are not very loving sometimes among people. Hmm. Uh, but uh, we have to apply the criteria that Jesus himself uh, applied. And so that is how you will know.
0: He says that it's a new commandment that Christ gives us. How is it new?
1: Well, it's new in the sense that um, he says, as uh, as I have loved you, you should love one another. In other words, in the old law, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, and you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy sometimes. But Jesus says, no, you must love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And Jesus himself uh, laid down his life at the hands of sinful men. Uh, and forgave them, you know. I mean, well, he offered them forgiveness because forgiveness has to be accepted in order to be fruitful. Uh, but that's a very different thing. He says, "As I have loved you, you must love one another."
0: So it's more than a quid pro quo relationship that, that the Lord is asking for us another from us. In other words, you love me, I'll love you. You hate me, I'm going to hate you. But the Lord is saying, "No, you hate me. I'm still got to. Uh, my commandment is still that you love." the other person love your enemy Yeah, yes and now we don't want to be uh, uh,
1: negative about the old law about the old testament that yes the commandment to love god above all things and your neighbor as yourself was there but it was still more tribal in the sense that who is your neighbor your neighbor was more of your own people and uh, of those with whom a balance of justice was uh, present uh, so it was the beginning of that teaching, because it's all from God in the Old Testament and, and the Old Covenant, uh, that, and, and, and law, uh, love is certainly there. But Jesus goes the extra mile when he says, as I have loved you, because then we have before us uh, the crucifixion and forgiveness and all the things that Christ taught that are really radical demands of the gospel that fulfill and perfect uh, the, uh, the old law.
0: I find that interesting what you just said about it was was tribal. In other words, if I was white, I was expected to like uh, another white person or the same person that looked like me. But now there is none of this separation between human beings. Whether you're black, you're white, you're yellow, you're green, whatever you are, whether you're male, you're female, whoever you are, I'm still called to love you and respect you as my brother, my sister.
1: Yes, and certainly the best uh, uh, of the old... Uh, law the old testament the very best this these ideas were or this teaching was how should we say incipient it was there to a certain extent but it only became perfected and realized in christ's own uh, gift of self in in the crucifixion and the absolute demand of forgiveness and love of enemies Uh, uh, and you know do good to those who hate you all of those kind of things Uh, so it was a a, the radical demand of love and, you know, it, it embraced all people and not just uh, your own kind, you know, your own yeah. people, but it was extended uh, to to everyone. There are already foreshadowings of it in, in, in the old law, but Christ brings it to a, a, a perfection and a, and a, a completeness that it, it didn't have before.
0: Tim from Kent asks a question that revolves around the, this particular gospel for instance uh, he he says jesus said to love one another like he loves us but how do we do this most of us fail daily to act in loving ways even toward loved ones and even more so toward people who rub us the wrong way well the way we do it is by god's grace uh, tim Uh, none of us uh, can do
1: anything that is really uh, good uh, unto eternal life uh, except by the grace of god you know we this is a very important point to make that we can we can only do these things as it by gift and the the gift of of Christ's grace through the power of the holy spirit when we fail and we often do then we have to keep striving to do this we even see this in the new testament people were not always lovey-dovey toward one another there were yeah. you know there were conflicts and difficulties and and such uh, although conflict and difficulty does not necessarily mean uncharitable behavior it just means you know differences But um, this is where we have to strive every day to, to, to do it.
0: Catherine from New Haven says, I know you've probably been asked this before, but will we be reunited with our loved ones in heaven? I sure hope so. I lost my husband to cancer last year, and about the only thing that keeps me going is the hope that we'll see each other again.
1: Yes well Catherine you know on the one hand Jesus says that in 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 the kingdom of God people are neither married nor given in marriage uh, because marriage is uh, as such is something that uh, pertains to uh, our life in in this world uh, 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 but that does not mean that we are not um how should we say uh, spiritually present and united to uh, to those we loved in this world in in heaven I think that is certainly a very natural expectation and one that, that I think uh, you know is uh, promised us that, that really you know we talk about the communion of saints uh, in heaven but uh, so for the the church on earth to be united as a family in heaven but I think that also applies to our, our uh, uh, physical uh, natural you know natural family I think that the great uh, problem uh, the great uh, thing that we have to entrust entirely to God is those cases in which our loved ones may have chosen to refuse god's grace and may have you know died in serious sin and we, we can never judge another person's soul we only god can judge but you know how does that work i don't i don't have an answer to that and one would hope that that's not a frequent occurrence but even that you can't say you know it's it's all up in god's hands but we know this that our you know heaven is a place of perfect happiness and in the great scheme of god's love and mercy and all that uh, that is unfolded in now in the light of his providence and in the light of his goodness we just have to know that we are promised uh, this perfect uh, happiness.
0: Bottom line is we don't know exactly what heaven is like or St.
1: Paul says, I has not seen ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him so we just have to live by that faith but I think in answer to your question that certainly uh, the hope of seeing our loved ones in, in heaven again or the, uh, not just hope but the expectation certainly is a very valid uh... and uh... and a praiseworthy thing
0: zach from madison says what should be the relationship between evangelism and social responsibility
1: well zach it's a, interesting the way you put it i uh... I think we don't uh, that has a slightly protestant ring to it and by that i certainly don't mean that is any kind of criticism that's a good thing but evangelism and social responsibility uh, we normally would talk about evangelization. Uh, that's, I suppose, more of a Catholic uh, usage these days. But they're really uh, the same uh, in the sense of it means bearing witness to the gospel, spreading the gospel, spreading Christianity, teaching, drawing people to Jesus. And, and the relationship between that and social responsibility, uh, which means being engaged in this world uh, in ways uh, that uh, lead to greater justice and... Uh, and, and on the other hand, a social responsibility, which simply means that we live the gospel in this world. We put it into practice in ways uh, that lead to charity and justice for, for, for as many people as possible with the goal of it being for all. And the two are interrelated because they really have to do with the, the very basic thing of loving God above all things and your neighbor as yourself. So if you love God above all things, you want to share the good news of the gospel uh, evangelism, evangelization with others, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, you certainly are going to be engaged in social responsibility. Because uh, to love your neighbor is not just private charity, but it's also looking out for the common good through the social life of of the nation or of a local community.
0: When you do take the time to go out of your way to love your neighbor too, you are authenticating the religion that you proclaim. Are you not?
1: Yes, you're giving a sign that Christ's word uh, and teaching and the love of God really is something you believe and practice.
0: Lance from Watertown says, I've spoken with many people who have been deeply hurt by the closing of parishes in the archdiocese, priests being moved and the sexual abuse scandal. Many are angry and afraid the church will not survive. Can you offer any reassurances that the church will never go away?
1: No, I can't offer them, and I don't need to, because Christ offers them, and I believe him. I don't believe myself. I believe Christ. Mm. And, uh, you know, the church, anybody that studies the New Testament, anybody that studies church history, will know that uh, the gates of hell have tried to prevail against the church from the very beginning. and But Christ says they will not prevail against it. Uh, and we live in a sinful world and where there's both from without and from within. There are all kinds of uh, uh, sinfulness, betrayals. The devil works overtime. And so those kinds of things uh, we just have to endure. Jesus says the wheat and the weeds grow together. And remember somebody said in the parable, well, let's try to separate them now. And Jesus said, no, if you do that, you're going to rip up the good with the bad. We wait till harvest time. And then the angels come and separate the wheat from the chaff and they put the wheat in the barns, and the chaff is burned with fire. That is judgment. Uh, now, when having said that, though, I'm not including in that kind of evil the fact that we've had to close parishes or transfer priests. That simply has to do with the good of the community and the, the realities of the present day. And the church is not made up uh, ultimately of parishes or churches or where a priest is assigned, but it's made up by the uh, faith uh, of the people uh, and the the fact that they come together to celebrate the Holy Eucharist and live their faith in whatever configuration it might be at a given moment. You know, there have been many times in history where the Church has been totally uprooted. And uh, even, uh, you know, in the world today, when I think of what the people in some countries are going through to practice their Catholic faith, when I think of the people in China... Where the church arbitrarily closes this and that, and tells that the tries to restrict the freedom of worship and all those kinds of things, uh, and where people are discriminated against if they don't follow, you know, certain dictates. That was true under communism. It's true, just in a lot of places in the world,
0: or, or Sri I, Lanka, where there was that yes, where there were martyred killing. so
1: many people being martyred. I think of the people dying for their faith, in you know, uh, under ISIS and all that in Egypt being massacred and killed for being a Christian or Catholic. You know, and now I I don't mean this disrespectfully, but those people really are paying a price for their faith, not that they're simply being asked that because of the way the demographics today and the number of priests that they have to go to a neighboring parish, you know? I I mean, I I appreciate that people are attached to their parish and they should be. But I, I think, and it is sad when we have to uh, consolidate or close, but those are beyond my control. I can't. I can't help it. If a parish that once had thousands of people now just has a few hundred, and we don't really have enough priests to to accommodate that, we have to make changes. Uh, but what's important is the is faith in Christ and our Catholic faith, even if it has to be practiced in a new situation. So, there's a lot to be angry about in the world all the time, you know. And uh, but I would hope people would overcome that temptation.
0: Anger doesn't make us better people. Anger doesn't no. make us feel good about ourselves either.
1: And there's a righteous anger that can come when we, uh, when we encounter real evil. But I don't think that this qualifies as an evil. I think it qualifies as a sad reality today that we need to, be to, we need to face uh, squarely. But remember, everything is for the sake not of keeping things just the way they are, but everything has to be for the sake of the mission. What is Christ asking us to do to uh, bear witness to him and to bring other people into the faith today? That is what is the most important thing of all. You know, in a country now where as many people I read recently say that they have no religious faith at all as there are people who say they're Catholic in our country, when the two numbers are the same, that is really very distressing. So what we need to do is to um, find a way together Uh, To bear witness to Christ and to draw other people into our shared communion of faith, hope, and love uh, in the Catholic Church.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Lord, we thank you for all your gifts and blessings, and we thank you for helping us to walk the narrow and hard path that leads to life, as you yourself tell us in the gospel. We pray for the strength, the courage, the wisdom, the patience. And the love to follow that rugged and difficult path in company with you so that we may also, in this Easter season, uh, see uh, the fullness and enjoy the fullness of joy and happiness in the resurrection. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. As always, we're forward-thinking people, so we look forward to next Sunday when we'll join you again at 7 o'clock in the morning with a repeat at 11.30. And until then, we wish you well during this week. Thank you.